Good evening, everyone. This is the meeting of the San Francisco Commission on the Environment, and the time is 5.05 p.m. A note that the ringing of cell phones, pagers, and similar devices can still happen virtually and is still prohibited. Please turn your devices off. Due to the COVID-19 health emergency and to protect commissioners, department staff, and members of the public, the Commission on the Environment's meeting room 416 is closed. <clears throat> However, commissioners and department staff will be participating in the meeting remotely. This precaution is taken pursuant to the statewide stay-at-home order and all preceding and proceeding local, state, and federal orders, declarations, and directives. <clears throat> Commissioners will attend the meeting through video conference or by telephone if the video fails and participate in the meeting to the same extent as if they were physically present. Public comment will be available on each item on this agenda. SFGovTV.org is streaming the number up at the top of the screen and each speaker will be allowed three minutes to speak. Comments or opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available via phone call by calling 1-415-655-0001 and entering access code 146-031-0364. When connected, dial star three to be added to the queue. If you do not press star three, your virtual hand will not be raised and I will not be able to call on you. Best practices are to call from a quiet location, speak clearly and slowly, and turn down any other devices. Alternatively, you may submit public comment by email to the department's commission affairs officer and environment at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the commissioners and will be included as part of the official file. I will now call the roll. Uh, President Stevenson is excused. Vice President on. Here. Commissioner Bermejo. Here. Commissioner Hunter. Here. Commissioner Sullivan is excused. Commissioner Wald? Here. And Commissioner Wan? Here. All right, we have a quorum. Thank you, Katie. Next agenda item then. All right, I'm moving on to item two, President's welcome, and this item is for discussion. Uh, good evening, everyone. I'm taking over for our, our president, President Stevenson, temporarily today. The Commission on the Environment acknowledges that we occupy the unseated ancestral homeland of the Ramaytush uh, Ohlone peoples, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. We recognize that the Ramaytush Ohlone uh, understand the interconnectedness of all things and have maintained harmony with the nature for millennia. We honor the Ramaytush Ohlone peoples enduring commitment to Walrep Earth as the indigenous protectors uh, of, the, of this land and in accordance with their traditions. The Ramaytush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. We recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. As uninvited guests, we affirm their sovereign rights as first peoples and wish to pay our respects to the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramaytush community. As environmentalists, we recognize that we must embrace indigenous knowledge in how we care for San Francisco and all its people. Thank you for your attention during that important acknowledgement. And I would like to start tonight's meeting by welcoming our newest commissioner, Austin Hunter, who will be serving as the uh, commissioner for the remainder of Tiffany Chu's term. Commissioner Hunter is also on the board of the San Francisco Legal Conservation Voters and has been involved with a number of community organizations but uh, I think it's better uh, introduced in Commissioner Hunter's own words. So if you have uh, um, words you'd like to share with us, Commissioner Hunter, now would be the time to do so. Thank you, Vice President. I am very excited uh, to step into the remainder of the former commissioner's term. 
I am um, thrilled to say that I've been able to watch the fabulous work that this commission has been doing over the past year. Watching you go through the budget process has really uh, created a sense of admiration and respect for every single one of you. That being said, I'll uh, stop there and just say I'm excited to continue the work with you in the coming year. Thank you, Commissioner Hunter, and again, welcome. Um, is there any public comment on the president's welcome? Um, yes, we can open for public comment. And then did you also um, want to mention any changes to the agenda? Oh, yes. Thank you for reminding me, Katie. Uh, so at, we will also reshuffle the agenda to allow um, the environmental ward, right, which is currently agendized as item seven, I believe. And Correct. that will be item five instead. But do we need to make that a formal vote, Katie, or are we just fine doing it at my discretion? No, that's fine. Okay. All right. And so I will share the instructions for making a public comment on the president's welcome. All right. And just a reminder for anyone who would like to call in to comment on this item to press star three in order to raise your virtual hand. Otherwise, you will not be added to the queue and you will have three minutes to make your comment. And give me one moment while I check our queue. We don't currently have any callers in the queue, but we'll take a brief pause. All right, and I'm not seeing any callers in the queue. Thank you. And so seeing no other uh, callers, uh, we should move on to the next agenda item. All right, moving on to item three, approval of minutes of the May 25th, 2021 Commission on the Environment meeting. The explanatory document is the May 25th, 2021 draft meeting minutes. And this item is for discussion and possible action. Any discussion on this, colleagues? And uh, if not, do I hear a motion to approve the draft minutes? So moved. Oh. I second. So, uh, I'm sorry, Miss, was that Commissioner Bermejo who moved? Um, and then a second by Commissioner Wald. Yeah, uh, so we have a motion. Um, and then if there's no other discussion or changes from other commissioners, we should open it up to public comment on this item. Great. I'll put the instructions for making a public comment back up on the screen for anyone who would like to call in to comment on this item, which is the approval of minutes. And a reminder again to please press star three in order to raise your virtual hand and be added to the queue. Otherwise, I will not be able to see you. And you will have three minutes to make your comment. And I don't see any callers in our queue, but we'll take another brief pause. All right, I'm not seeing any callers in the queue. Thanks, Katie. So please call the roll at this point. All right. All right. Uh, President Stevenson is excused. Vice President on. Aye. Commissioner Bermejo. Aye. Commissioner Hunter. Aye. Commissioner Sullivan is excused. Commissioner Wald. Aye. And Commissioner Wan. Aye. The motion passes. Uh, Katie, next item, please. All right, moving on to item four, general public comment. Members of the public may address the commission on matters that are within the commission's jurisdiction and are not on today's agenda. 
one second while I put the instructions for making a public comment back up on the screen. For anyone who would like to call in during general public comment, please remember to press star three in order to be added to the virtual queue and you will have three minutes to make your comment. And it doesn't look like we currently have any callers in the queue, but we'll take another brief pause. All right, and I don't see any callers in the queue. Thank you, Katie. And which brings us to the next item, which is a reshuffled item, the Environmental Service Award. And if you want to mind uh, reading it for us, Katie. Sure. All right, so it's a presentation of the Commission on the Environment Environmental Service Award to Joe Licata, and this item is for discussion. At this point, uh, Commissioner Wald, if you wouldn't mind introducing the item. Thank you, Commissioner Ron, and good evening, uh, everyone. I am honored to present this Environmental Service Award to Joe Lakata, who has spent over 30 years leading innovation in the hospitality industry at Hilton San Francisco. Joe exemplifies the idea that we can have a healthy environment and a great economy while using our sustainability goals to support community needs throughout the city. She has spent her career setting up systems to ensure that working items such as coffee pots and linens and furniture that others might have sent to landfill were redistributed to nonprofits, homeless shelters, and others in need. As a result of her efforts, Joe has helped provide a second life to nearly 500,000 tons of supplies, furniture, and equipment that was languishing in storage closets or slated for dumpsters. She also implemented energy efficiency and zero waste measures at Hilton, measures which not only support the city's climate goals, but model San Francisco's commitment to visitors from around the world. She led the Hilton to adopt programs in water conservation and recycling and food recovered from meetings and conferences at the hotel was donated to nonprofit groups and neighborhood organizations. In addition, Joe has partnered on a range of activities for local organizations, such as allowing Outward Bound to use the Hilton for its annual fundraiser. Joe has become an integral part of our San Francisco community and her impact on our residents and our environment will be felt for years to come. On a more personal note, I wanna say that during Governor Brown's climate summit, I attended a panel that Joe was on and I got to see firsthand her charisma, her activism, her commitment to sustainability, as well as the evident regard that her fellow panelists showed for her abilities and her accomplishments. And so with that, I am pleased to join my colleagues in thanking Jo for her outstanding work and partnership and in presenting her with this award. Terry, where are you, Terry? Would you like to say a few words? Yes, I would. Thank you, Commissioner. And you, you, you really, um, you really said this well. Um, I think 
all of us. So I'm the general manager at the Hilton. I've been I've been at the Hilton for about three years now. And um, I met Joe my first day and uh, she she made such such an impact on on everything I do and everything the hotel does. I think we all um, strive to to leave a legacy. And um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, Joe ha has left her legacy at the Hilton and at the Park 55. Nothing uh, leaves our hotel without somebody saying, did anybody check with Joe Licata to make sure that we couldn't donate it, we couldn't recycle it, we couldn't send it to somewhere else, we couldn't send it to a nonprofit. Um, her, uh, her passion and her goodness and her joy um, will resonate for many, many, many years to come. I'm, uh, I'm honored and uh, thrilled that she received this award. And, um, you know, I'm humbled by, by the work that she does. Uh, it, it's just, to me, um, you know, it just, it, 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 it just fills me with, with, with hope for the future. Um, and I'm just so very, very, very uh, excited that, um, that she was recognized for this. So uh, thank you for doing that. And there's, I can't put into words um, you know, how grateful I am that my path touched hers and that her path touched Hilton. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sean, would you like to say a few words? Yes, I would. So everyone at the Department of the Environment adores Joe Licata. I just have to say that she has been a friend of the department since before we were a department, since it was zero waste over at admin services. And, and you know, one of the things, first, 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 right? Joe has done all of this stuff at the Hilton and, and she makes the city look good, but she has also modeled this kind of behavior for other hotels and other restaurants and other institutions in San Francisco. So just things like setting up this turnkey program to make sure leftover food from whatever happens at the Hilton gets right into the hands of people who need it, food pantries around the city. She was one of the first people to do that in San Francisco. So, and then I also wanna say, I was able to attend, um, Joe was nominated and won the Peter Goldman Award for Community Service. She was nominated by the Hotel Council. And, and so I was able to attend that lunch and there were hundreds of people there and almost everyone who was attending that lunch was from a nonprofit or an organization that Joe had helped, whether it was the Fine Arts Museums of San Francisco, whether it was KQED, whether it was the Tenderloin Neighborhood Development Center. So, so I mean, I'm so, you know, I use the term cavell a lot when I present and talk at the commission. I cavell. This is an amazing human being. And guess what? I know her. So, um, but one of the things like you kind of glossed over the, the fundraiser for Outward Bound, maybe people in their head had a picture of, oh, a ballroom, right? With people sitting down and eating. No, she allows Outward Bound to do their fundraiser, which involves rappelling down the side of the Hilton Hotel. So again, not sure that a lot of people would do that. It is a huge moneymaker for them. I know they can't wait to start doing it again. Um, it's a great event. And so always, always her fingers in all of those kinds of events, you know, how creative is that? So we adore Joe at the Department of the Environment, whatever you ever need from us, we are there because you have been there for us. 
And I'm so excited that you're getting this award. Thanks. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you uh, Sean. Over to you, uh, Director Raphael. Thank you. Oh my God, Joe, you're sitting in a hotel room just taking this all in. I'm so excited. I'm so glad. So the one thing I just want to add to all of the incredible things you've heard is that Joe builds community. And I think that that's something that is so important when we think about the issue of scale. It's one thing for the Hilton to lead by example in San Francisco. It's another thing to take those lessons and create a community in the hospitality world that can share their best practices, push each other, compete a little bit. And that's what Joe does. She brings together her colleagues from hotels from around the country and they come and they've come to our offices and Joe has led them in this information sharing, inspiration. How do we push ourselves and do more? So Joe, you've made a difference here in San Francisco. You've made a difference across the hospitality industry. You make us smile, you make us laugh. And the, you know, for me, when I think of you, Joe, I just think of the warmth that you give off and how truly happy you are to be in this space and this role. And I can imagine you have bruises on your forehead from trying to get some <laughs> things done, but you never let that get you down, or at least I haven't seen you get it down. You're so determined and you're so positive. The planet is lucky that you decided to do this work. And like Sean, I'm just tickled to um, be participating in this award for you tonight. And now it's your turn, Joe, if you'd like to say a few words. Well, first of all, Commissioner Wald, Debbie, Sean, Kevin, um, Terry, I am so honored and it's, it's remarkable that um, after all these years, I have tried to think of how best to express the relationship that we've had at the Hilton with the department. And, and you're right, Sean, it wasn't even a department. I mean, I remember the Bronze Age, David Osman and people like that when we were just starting these zero waste programs. But I never thought of it as a company and a an or, or an association or a government uh, organization relationship. I always thought of it more as friends calling friends uh, because of the things that we shared. And I always felt that if I had a question on a procedure or a problem, I knew that I could leave a message for Kevin. He'd call me back. Sean, she'd call me back. Always, you were always so willing to participate with hospitality events and meeting planner events. Um, but before I go any further, I wanna talk a little bit about that repelling of Outward <laughs> Bound. I mean, I can talk about it, but our general manager, Terry Lewis actually did it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I think Sean did too, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> right. So kudos uh, to all of those who actually who actually did the uh, repelling down, down the uh, side of the Hilton. And I just wanna say that um, 
my time in San Francisco was, I always thought of my position that was created for me by a very forward thinking general manager, Holger Gantz. And each successive general manager, I have been so fortunate because as I've always told people when they ask, well, how do you start a program like this? You need your management support because you can't get anywhere unless the people at the top are supporting the efforts and have their um, uh, uh, backing. And that has always been the case. And I've always said that this job was a grace and favor type of position. Um, and I am eminently proud and humbled at the same time by the reception that you've all given me and your kind words that I will cherish. And I just hope to always be able to contribute something and I will continue to try to make you proud. That's the best I can do because uh, that means the world to me. And the awards are wonderful, but I think all of you agree it's, it's the work that you love. It's the doing of it and seeing a result. And yeah, hitting your head against, your forehead against the wall when you're told by a department in the hotel, we have 4,000 glasses in a, in a storage area. And Joe, if you can't find a home for it tomorrow, it's all gonna go in the dumpster. So these are the types of things that really motivated me. <laughs> and uh, they, they gave me the challenge. So again, thank you so much, everyone. I am truly, truly blessed to have had um, your friendship and you will always have mine. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you again for your service, Joe. Um, there are no other speakers. Maybe we should move on to public comment then, Katie. Okay. Um, give me one second while I pull up the instructions. There we go. All right, so I've just put the instructions for making a public comment up on the screen for anyone who would like to call in to comment on this item, which is the Environmental Service Award to Joe Licata. And please remember to press star three in order to be added to the virtual queue and raise your hand and you will have three minutes to make your comment. And we don't currently have any callers in the queue, but we'll take a brief pause. I'm not seeing any callers in the queue. Thank you, Katie, and congratulations, Joe. We'll see you again soon, I'm sure. Um, at this point, we'll move on to the next item then. All right, great. Moving on to our next item, which is uh, now item six, presentation on mobile CRV bottle redemption pilot program. The sponsor is Deborah Rafael, director, and the speaker is Kevin Drew, senior zero waste specialist, and this item is for discussion. Wonderful. Well, this item um, is near and dear to my heart because it feels like it came on my plate almost the first week of my role as director. 
Um, as you may know, the state has a law that says that we you must be giving a deposit for bottling cans when you buy them. It's fairly invisible to most people at this point, but it's a deposit. It's not a tax, it's not a fee. And so because it's a deposit, it means that you have the right to redeem it and get your money back. So there are these requirements to have what are called redemption centers. California Redemption Value, CRV, that's what that stands for when you see it on a container. And we used to have many of these sites all around the city where one could go get your uh, money back when you brought your bottle and can. But now we are at a point where we have only one of such place. So it hardly meets the standard of convenient access to getting your money back to redemption. And so thanks to the leadership, frankly, of our elected officials, um, Assemblymember Ting, Senator Wiener, um, and our own supervisors who've really been with us on this, there was money set aside in the budget on the state budget, as well as a law put in place to create a pilot program that allowed some creativity for cities to lean in and try and design new systems for these redemption centers. And our goal for the pilot, we applied for and got a pilot status, and you'll hear from Kevin Drew and our partners about that. And I think the thing I wanna leave you with is that this is a pilot and it means that we are figuring things out, this new system as we go. Our intention is to make the program available to everyone in the city, no matter their location, no matter their preferred language or their access to the internet or a smartphone. That is our intention. We are building towards that. We can't do this alone. This is not really the responsibility of the Department of the Environment to implement a program like this. And so it's our partners that make this such an incredible pilot and you're going to hear from the San Francisco Conservation Corps, our Planet Recycling, Oregon Beverage Recycling Cooperative, and of course, our own Kevin Drew. So uh, to present the pilot to you tonight and get us kicked off is Kevin. So Kevin, take it away. Thanks, Debbie. <clears throat> Thanks, Debbie. Uh, and I appreciate your recognizing the, the group. It's a group effort. Uh, and just as Joe said, his friends calling friends, That's uh, even though it's taken us five years, Debbie, that's essentially what we're ending, we're ending up with is a really good collaboration uh, to make this pilot real. And that's really what I want to, Debbie's outlined it really well. Uh, what she's here to see along with the rest of you is that we've gone from a representation that you see on the screen here uh, of, of what a truck would look like uh, to we're actually getting them on the road and all the pieces are coming into play. Uh, basically, there, this is a mobile system that will go to your neighborhood and pick up the bottles and cans that you assemble into a special bag uh, that is coded with your identification information, and you'll get your money back in a few days, and the material will go off to one of our partner's yards, helped by another one of our partners with the staffing, and it's it'll be seamless and very convenient uh, and very accurate as well. Go ahead, KB, for the next slide. Uh, this is the, this is the goals are to make it more accessible, as, as Debbie said, and it's a citywide effort to reach every district. Uh, that will do over the course of the next three or so years. Uh, and it encourages everyone to do the recycling that they may have forgotten that they were getting this deposit back. We think this will actually bring some more connection to people to their environmental role. Go ahead, Katie, next. 
And this is what people remember about recycling in the old days. It still is here because you got to go off a long way to get your money back. Uh, but let's move on to the next slide and see what it's going to look like going forward. <clears throat> this is our, one of our first two trucks. It's uh, been wrapped with the uh, bottle bank uh, logo and the instructions. Actually, you can see on the side there in the back right-hand corner in the blue, that's the instructions of how to do it. And included on that is a, a little QR code. We're going to be able, uh, deploying uh, electronic means of teaching people how to do it and making it work for them. And those are our partners down below. Go ahead, Katie, next slide. And this is uh, one of our first partners. This is the Conservation Corps. Uh, three of our folks that will be on the team working. They've already been practicing there, uh, loading and unloading, uh, setting up the tent that we have, and getting ready for putting the technology that we're going to have, and we'll tell you a little more about that in a minute, to work to make it easier for you and to be sure that you're getting that nickel back or that dime back for your container. Uh, Bottle Bank is the name of the uh, program. As you can see the emblem on the uh, safety vest. Go ahead, Katie, next. And these are our partners. I'm going to, they're here with us, and I'll have them uh, speak at the end of, the, of this. But we'll just, we have the Conservation Corps, who I've worked with for over 25 years, uh, and Marilee Eckert, he's here, the executive director. Uh, we have Our Planet Recycling, which is that last remaining recycling center here with uh, Ursh Serzars who is the, one of the, he and his brother are the owner and operator there. And we have Eric Chambers from the Oregon Beverage Recycling Co-op uh, from Oregon, who have, are doing this program, have been doing it successfully for a number of years, and we're having their expertise to make sure that we get it right here. Uh, we also have Cal Recycle, who's not here, but they have been the funder uh, through the, the entire time that uh, Debbie was talking about, and their funding has continued to uh, supply the program with the necessary uh, uh, money to make it happen. Uh, also here, not on, not represented here, but uh, in the background are the supermarkets and the smaller grocery stores and the legacy stores, all of whom are participating as beverage container uh, retailers, and, and they will benefit from the program and they are supporting the program. Next slide. And it's just to go quickly over it, you'll sign up via computer or your smartphone, or you can do it at, a, at one of our uh, tables at, a, at where the truck is at a parking lot. Uh, you register, you'll find the locations via a map that you'll see in a moment that's on the website. You'll just uh, sign up for you and get a identification uh, number or your own number. And then you click that when you're at the site. And then the, the bag is registered, it's taken back and counted for you, and then you'll get a ping on your device when it's been counted, and then you'll get the, the money back within 72 hours. Next slide. Uh, this is, we're gonna be reaching out to uh, folks across the, neighbor, across the city and in, in all neighborhoods uh, with, with different types of outreach, both uh, electronic, but also door to door and kind of meeting people where they are. We'll make sure that senior housing folks know about it, that neighborhoods in, from Chinatown to the Bayview to the Outer Sunset all learn about the program. The next slide. And the this is the, 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 again, this is our bag for the first time. These just came off the presses about three or four days ago. Uh, these, uh, the one on the left is a two pack. There's two bags in there and it's wrapped by the instructions for how to use the system. Uh, laid out there on the on the right hand side is what the bag looks like. You probably can't see it here, but down along the bottom of that is a little QR code 
which is again the thing that you'll scan either with your own phone or with a scanner that's at the sites at the different parking lots. And that, that's how we'll keep track of the material for you and make sure that you get your, uh, your CRV value. Next slide. And these are the five sites that we have at the moment uh, from what, ranging from the west on, uh, over on Stonestown in the parking lot there, then over the top of Market Street at Portola and Market where um, Soda, the high school is. We're looking forward to working with the school district and the various uh, schools to use this use their parking lots when they're not using it. Then we've come down to the South of Market area where we've got three different sites kind of in the various parts of South of Market and kind of the Civic Center area. Uh, we'll be looking to add more sites around the city, but it was really necessary as Debbie was saying that to get to, to show what it is so people could see what it is and associate it kind of I think proactively with a more a convenient and a cleaner and uh, neater system than what we've had in the past. Next slide. I think we're almost at, and this is just some pictures from the different sites. That's the Conservation Corps with our team, our, their team and the, the uh, tent that we have. And this is what you'll see when you go, you know how to find us. Next slide. That's underneath, that's on Vermont Street, underneath the freeway. This is out at Soda, up in the parking lot of uh, the high school. We'll be using libraries, uh, other uh, places where people congregate as a way to distribute information, not just electronically, but through bulletin boards and through ways that, you know, posting the information in places like that, as well as at the stores. All 750 stores in San Francisco will get a new sign telling about the new program, uh, a sign that we've designed and Cal Recycle has approved, and we'll be mailing those out in the next, you know, later in August. Um, go ahead, Katie. And this is just our timeline. We're down to the fourth bullet on the right there, I guess, it's, uh, where it says September. That's when we think we'll get open. Uh, and we'll have a couple of years to take to get the pilot up and running and expand it uh, so that we can see how it works and how people respond to it and whether it makes sense both for San Franciscan, San Franciscans and for Californians. I think it's uh, Oregon is one of the only other states, Maine being a Maine and New York or two others. New York only does it in a small part of the state. Uh, so we're a much larger uh, uh, territory for this idea to be rolled out with. And I think that the bottle bill needs a refreshing uh, in order to get people more engaged with it again. Uh, next slide. And this is, uh, this is Phil Ting, actually came out uh, assembly member who helped uh, fund it and has been a big supporter. He, was, uh, he, he clicked the, the QR code on the side of, his, on the, side of the truck to make sure it worked, so it went to the, to the uh, website. Um, it's really important, as Debbie said, that the, we've had the legislative support uh, for the program the whole way. Uh, next slide, I think that's almost it. Yeah, thank you. Actually, one more slide. I'm just gonna introduce um, Mary Lee from the Conservation Corps, uh, Orsh uh, from Our Planet, and Eric, just to say hello, and we're, we're all here to answer any questions you might have, uh, but I wanted to give them a chance just to, to, give, a, just to give a quick, Shout out for their own from their own organization. Mary Lee, could you start? Yeah, hi. Um, I have my video on because it keeps squeezing. But um, I, I wanted to uh, thank you. I mean, this is such a great opportunity for the Conservation Corps. We have young adults, um, mostly the ones that will be working on this are 18 to 26 years old, and they're they're really looking for opportunities to complete their education and to 
get job training, and then move on to, uh, you know, really living wage jobs. So this is a great opportunity to get them involved in that. And also the other piece of it is that we, if we are facing a climate crisis right now, and turning it over to the next... Finish your thought, Marilee, if you can. Go ahead. I think we might have lost her. Okay. Well, let's, let's um, if she comes back on, we can grab her. I'd like her to finish that thought. I know what she's thinking a little bit. But, uh, Ursh, you wanna, do you want to just jump in? From Our Planet Recycling? Yes. Come on in. Yeah. Yes. Can you hear me? I unmuted us. Okay, I'm... Oh, there we go. She's back. Yeah. Go ahead, Marilee. You can just, yeah, if you need to keep the uh, camera off to, to keep the audio, I think what you were saying was important. I think we lost her again. Okay. <laughs> Ursh, go, go ahead, Ursh, and if, if Millie comes back, we'll let her jump in. Okay, try that. Um, try that. There you go. It's working fine, Marilee, if you can yes. hear me. It's really important to get the next generations prepared to deal with this climate crisis that we're facing, and this is one of the ways that that um, it helps that. And it's we at the Conservation Corps, we're... We're doing lots of different things to help prepare um, the younger generations to to deal with the climate crisis and to take actions to, you know, reverse reverse the negative impact of climate change. So that's another great piece of this um, project. Great, thanks, Marilyn. Ursh, uh, excuse me. Go ahead if you can uh, jump in here. From our planet, our planet recycling. I heard you a moment ago. You may be muted because you're not hearing you. Hello. There you go. Hi, hi, everybody. That's it. Hello. Can you hear me? You got it. We're good. Hello, hello. Yeah, we're hearing you. Hello, Speak hello, hello. <laughs> we are hearing you, Hirsch, but you're not speaking. He might not okay. be able to hear us. I think we lost him. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about Eric? Eric, can we get you? Are you there? Uh, I am here. Can you hear me? Yes, we're hearing you just peachy. Excellent. I'm trying to start my video, but it's not letting me. Um, okay. So uh, I will just quickly say hello to everybody. I'm Eric Chambers. I'm the External Relations Director at the Oregon Beverage Recycling Cooperative. And uh, as Kevin mentioned, we um, are the sort of operational stewards of Oregon's bottle bill, uh, which was the first in the nation. And we are uh, excited to share kind of our experiences that we've had with the bottle bill along the way. Um, Kevin also mentioned we run a, a bagged bulk recycling program similar to what you're uh, looking at with the bottle bank program. And we actually processed 8.3 million bags last year. 
And, and so we're excited to come and share some of our technology, some of our expertise uh, as a consultant and contractor with our planet recycling um, and part of the broader system, uh, providing some of our technology and, and processes for the counting and also the material separation and sorting on the back end. That, that, thanks, Eric. That's it's really critical that that we have the experience of Oregon to help uh, the Conservation Corps and Orsh adapt to this new system and be able to deliver it with confidence, both to Cal Recycle and to the individual consumers. And I, I just want to say that it's it's even though it's been choppy for us to participate in the conversation here, we've managed to do an awful lot together, even during this last year and a half of COVID. We've really woven together a good team that I expect great things of and it reminds me of what uh what what joe said a little while ago and i worked with joe over 30 years ago starting with the non-hotel nonprofit collaborative it's friends calling friends to make a difference and that's what we need to treat our children and we need to learn ourselves about how to solve these problems going forward we're at such a state of discord it's uh it's kind of ridiculous because we've put together again here in san francisco a great team just to provide a positive solution thanks are there any questions Katie, I'll let you run that part of the show. Um, fellow commissioners, any questions? I don't hear any, so. I think Commissioner Wald has her hand raised in front of one. Okay, please, Commissioner Wald. Thank you so much, uh, Kevin. Uh, that was a great presentation. The technological glitches notwithstanding, I'm very excited that this program is up and running. And my question concerns the post-pilot assessment that was referred to on mm -hmm. one of your uh, slides. I wonder if you could just say a few words about the criteria that you are using for that assessment and how you all are going to be gathering that information over the next three years. Great. Thanks, Commissioner Wall. Uh, yes, that's the, the point of the pilot is to try different systems within the, the CRV realm and see both how they work sort of operationally and then how much they cost if they cost more. We know that the system that they use in Oregon does have a slight additional cost to having everybody voluntarily do it all. But the balance of that is the convenience and more material is captured in this source separated manner. So they're getting, I, I, I think Eric, you may have the number, but it's 80 to 90% of all beverage containers are, are, are collected separately. So they go right to market. They have markets that are strong for that. Uh, it's, it, it, it joins with a curbside program in that there are other materials that can be picked up in a collect in a uh, commingled fashion. But by having those materials separate, you really get that you maintain the value of it. So it's, it's a higher and better use. And <clears throat> I think, again, what Mary Lee was talking about, the other piece of it is paying the money to have a stewardship program that really works. And that's what giving, creating jobs for the Conservation Corps is about. That's what supporting a good recycling center like our, our planet is about. So much of our history has been a race to the bottom in the recycling industry to kind of grind it down. And it's really just a, <clears throat> excuse me, a short-sighted way of going about business. So John, we are gonna be keeping track of all the, all these costs and all these benefits and piling those up and reporting them to Cal Recycle as part of the whole pilot. There's five other pilots in the state 
and there may be another, it looks like there's going to be another five beyond that, but we think this is a real winner and we hope to be able to prove that out. May I, may I jump in here too? <coughs> sure. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So this is really important feedback, not just for us in terms of how we might shape our program, but for the state of California. CalRecycle understands that the bottle bill, which is, I don't know, Kevin, 30 years old. Yeah, 30, 35 years old. 35 years old. Everyone knows that it needs an update. It needs something, but we don't know what to replace it with. People have ideas, and we've looked at Oregon with Envy and said, wow, we would like a system that is as smooth and run by industry, so it's not the responsibility of local government to run it. Um, and so, but we can't just turn off the bottle bill that we have in California and turn on an Oregon model. So what we are doing here in San Francisco is a proof of concept for the larger state. The other pilots that are funded are much more traditional in their approach. They're, they're very much like the old bottle bill system. So the state is incredibly interested and attuned to what's going on here in San Francisco because what they're hoping is that this is the future of the system for the whole state. And we, being San Francisco, are willing to take risks and make mistakes and learn from them. You know, as you know, commissioners, we love the word pilot. It's our favorite word in government because that gives us a chance to learn. And that's what this is. So a lot of eyes are on us and a lot of hope too. So that assessment is gonna have incredible ramifications for the way the system will be designed. And that's what Kevin meant by, what are the true costs of a program? How do we need to adjust the way the system works with its revenue and expenses to have a system that is not a race to the bottom? Mm -hmm. hey, let me just add one thing, Debbie. The, the, there's about 800 million containers, Joanna, that are, are consumed in San Francisco. If you put a quarter of a cent on that, that's $2 million a year. If you put a half a cent on the, each of those bottles, that's $4 million a year. That's in our sense about where it may end up costing. And that's a very, that's not even a pretty penny. That's a quarter of a pretty penny to save, to be able to build a system that actually does the job and creates a, a you know, a career path, solves the problem for the stores, solves the problem for the consumer, solves the problem in terms of material return. So that's, that's the kind of thing we want to prove out. And I think that again, that'll again, that'll point towards the stores and the brands, everybody participating in a real fair way. Uh, yes, Commissioner Wan. Yeah, uh, Kevin, thank you for the presentation. It's really exciting. I think at one point at the Chang Chang, uh, I think when we talk about zero waste, we, one time we were talking about can we have a mobile like trash collection truck. So mm -hmm. I'm really excited to see this um, mobile like can bank that we can actually put it there, especially where congested area like Chinatown. Um, I just, and it's very exciting. I hope this is just a start. But at the same time, also wondering uh, to make sure that when we carry on to the full launch plan, that make sure we'll cover the different neighborhood of the city, especially low-income neighborhood. Mm -hmm. uh, make sure our outreach have it in language and have ambassador or the, uh, which is great, create workforce development opportunities, but also hire from the community uh, to be part of the team to really reflect the diversity of the different communities. Um, I think that will be really exciting and mm -hmm. I'm happy to assist any way I can. No, we need your assistance and that's absolutely the way we want to go about it. It's again, it's not unlike what Joe did with the hotel nonprofit collaborative, but gather all the neighborhood nonprofits, work with all the folks who needed help and make a program go. We see the same 
uh, that's my history and that's what I would intend to do and, and look forward to working with you in, in Chinatown and across the across the city really. Um, actually, we work with Eric and, 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 and Gordon Marr. Uh, I did when I was running Hank 30 years ago, we tried this. We didn't quite get it that time, but we'll do it this time. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to see it. Thank you. Yes, Commissioner Hunter. Uh, Kevin, I just want to echo the other commissioner's points first off and say this is a fantastic program and I'm very excited to hear it. Um, I was just curious about some of the more logistical aspects as mm -hmm. we start to think through the different personas who would need access and where access is going right. to be a barrier. Um, one of the things you said popped out at me was the requirement for a smartphone unless you could sign up at the mobile site, as well as the 72 hours to receive the funds back. So mm -hmm. now starting with the first one, um, will there be alternatives to signing up directly at the mobile site through public libraries or... Right. And then exactly. uh, just the other second question on receiving the funds back, it, because either unhoused or unbanked populations would also need access. Are there solutions in place to provide? We are, we're working on that. We have some solutions. We actually are mostly falling back onto the existing system that where you can uh, at OPR at the Our Planet Recycling, you can get cash there. That, so there is one outlet that still does that. Uh, we uh, want to expand that and we're working with uh, both stores and with uh, actually private industry about how to create a kind of like an EBT or some kind of a card that I know there's many social services that use cards. The question is how transferable are they and how universally acceptable are they? And that's, that's the direction we want to go, but we also want to maintain the simplicity of it. Uh, the master cards are expensive. Something It has to be something other than that, I think. And I think, again, going back to Debbie's point, I think we're going to, we're going to be, we, we certainly understand this issue. I, again, I've worked with, with, uh, with folks at, at redemption centers for over 35 years, I, I, I know everybody and I know how it works and I know what their concerns are. So we will pay attention to that and help, I think, grow a new uh, methodology that is more compatible with those who may be unhoused or unbanked. Uh, and, I, and I had some, we had some very exciting developments in that area that I can tell you more about when we get a little further along. And working with the treasurer too, as, as, as helping to find that out as well as the homeless services folks. Thanks. Seeing no other raised hands, maybe uh, we should move on to public comment, Katie. Great, I will put the instructions for making a public comment up on the screen for anyone who would like to call in to comment on this item. And please remember to press star three in order to be added to the virtual queue. Otherwise I will not see your virtual hand be raised and you will have three minutes to make your comment. And I do see that we have a caller in the queue. And so I'm going to pull up my timer and I will unmute our first caller now. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, it's David Pilpel. It's kind of confusing because I'm monitoring three different meetings and for some reason the WebEx event on the screen doesn't allow me to raise my hand on the screen. So I had to hang up and call in for public comment. If there's a way that you can adjust the participant roles so that I can participate via WebEx, then I can 
save one device because it's just confusing here. Plus, I can't figure out who all is participating. I can see some people, but not others. It's just it's a limited participant role. It's different from how it's been set up in the past. Okay, on um, this item, um, the mobile uh, recycling uh, program, I wanna support um, all of the work that uh, Kevin has been doing, which is substantial to make this happen. Lots of big concepts, lots of uh, details, trying to make this both um, something for uh, the public to use, but also to bring greater awareness and connect it to uh, other programs and climate and um, uh, all of the urgency that I'm sure he uh, spoke about um, earlier. Um, also in reference to the two uh, state secretaries of the relevant agencies, there are uh, Jared Blumenfeld and Wade Crowfoot from San Francisco, um, our people who I think understand uh, this department and um, the environment in uh, incredibly important and fundamental ways. And so we've got an incredibly narrow window of time to make as much happen uh, as we can um, uh, in the city and in the state uh, while we have um, all of the, the things lined up uh, while everything is on fire, you know, like literally and figuratively. Um, I'm sure I could say more and I'm sure I'm running out of time. That's another thing we could do is show the timer on the screen in real time. Ha, there you go. All right, still working on public participation here. Uh, hope that helps. Thanks very much. Thank you. And thank you, Drew, for your work, uh, Kevin, for your work on this. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, if there is no other public comment in the queue, Katie, we should move on to the next item then. All right. Um, oh, sorry, give me one second. Here we go. All right, great. Okay, moving on to our next item, presentation on fixed lead SF overview and progress to date. The sponsor is Deborah Rafael, director, and the speakers are Ryan Ramos, climate program manager, and Karen Yu, senior environmental health inspector. And this item is for discussion. Wonderful, thank you. Thank you, Katie, thank you. President on or Vice President on. Um, so tonight we're going to, here, uh, a really interesting program uh, that marries the intersection of social justice and environmental justice that operates uh, between departments and brings in the expertise and the experience of various city agencies where I, I believe the whole is truly greater than the sum of its parts. And these kind of opportunities don't come our way um, every day. The, this was made possible because of a settlement that San Francisco participated in with the lead-based paint industry that released millions of dollars uh, for our city. And you'll hear more about that from Ryan Ramos. But I just wanna make the point that lead paint um, is still very much a problem in San Francisco, even though we have been working on this issue for many decades. And lead paint is becomes a problem at the intersection with energy efficiency because the areas where lead is an exposure problem are some of the same places where we wanna make changes for climate reasons, for energy reasons, like windows and doorways. So there's this opportunity to think holistically about an older building 
from a public health standpoint and from a climate standpoint. And that's what we've been doing in this program. Of course, you all know and remember how toxic a chemical lead is. Um, there is no safe level of lead in blood for children. And we, as the more we understand about lead, the more concern we have about the impact of lead on IQ and on other health aspects of developing minds. So we're fortunate, very fortunate today to have another partnership to uh, showcase for you. Another partnership just like the CRV that's at its early stages of development. So Ryan Ramos from our office will be talking about it and Karen Yu from Department of Public Health. So I will let Ryan kick it off. Great, thank you, Debbie. And so thank commissioners for the opportunity to present uh, this collaborative initiative to promote healthy communities and climate action. Uh, the Fixed Lead SF program aims to reduce lead hazards in SF residences that have children. Fixed Lead SF is a collaboration amongst city departments, including the Department of the Environment, the Department of Public Health, uh, the Department of Public Health, and the Office of Economic and Workforce Development. Next slide, please. So first, let's talk about lead, what it is, and why is it why it's a problem. So lead is a heavy metal that is denser than most common materials. It's added to paint to accelerate drying, increase durability, maintain a fresh appearance, and resist moisture that causes corrosion. However, lead is a neurotoxin and ingestion can lead to lead poisoning. It's especially dangerous to children between eight months and six years old. When lead containing paint peels and cracks, it makes lead paint chips and dust, which can more readily be ingested by children. Next slide. Lead ingestion poisoning can lead to the following issues. Damage to the brain and nervous system, learning and behavioral problem, problems, slowed growth and development, and hearing and speech problems. Because of these health impacts, lead-based paints were banned for residential use in 1978. Next slide. Here's a map of the city showing the notices of violation for lead. The blue dots indicate the number of lead NOVs or notices of violation. The larger dots indicate more violations and the shading indicates the percentage of homes that are pre-1950. So the darker the shade, the more homes that are pre-1950 and more likely to have lead. So the, what this graphic is showing is that the lead notices of violation are predominantly in older neighborhoods as well as disadvantaged communities and low-income areas such as Bayview Hunters Point and the Mission. Next slide. So this leads us to the paint lawsuit. In 2000, 10 cities and counties in California, including the city and county of San Francisco, filed a case against lead paint manufacturers, accusing them, accusing them of knowingly selling a product that caused health impacts. In 2014, Sherwin-Williams, NL Industries, Conagra Grocery Products companies, all paint manufacturers, were held accountable for creating a public nuisance in these 10 cities and counties. As a result of the lawsuit, Paint manufacturers were ordered to pay for uh, funding, or sorry, to pay to fund inspection for abatement of lead paint and lead contaminated dust from the interiors of homes and lead contaminated soil around homes in these 10 cities and counties. The manufacturers appealed this decision. In 2017, the Court of Appeals issued a decision upholding the Superior Court's determination that the manufacturers liable for a public nuisance. Uh, in 2018, in February 2018, the 
paint manufacturers appealed to the uh, California Supreme Court and the California Supreme Court confirmed the Court of Appeals decision that the paint manufacturers were liable. Uh, finally, in October of 2018, the U.S. Supreme Court rejected the manufacturer's petition for review. Next slide. So this timeline shows that the settlement was decades in the making. The, the lawsuit was first filed in 2000 and the settlement was finally decided and, pay and funds paid out in 2019. So it took almost 20 years for the initial lawsuit uh, and for the cities and counties to see, to see a settlement from the lawsuit. San Francisco's share of the uh, settlement is $21 million, which will be dispersed over seven years. Next slide. The settlement provides funding for the lead abatement program uh, that we've branded as Fixed Lead SF. This is a citywide program that leverages the combined knowledge and experience of the Department of the Environment, the Department of Public Health, and the Office of Economic and Work Workforce Development. The, the main goal is to reduce lead hazards in San Francisco residential buildings, both single family and multifamily. Department of Public Health and the Department of the Environment are the co-leads with the Department of Public Health leading the technical and regulatory aspects and the Department of the Environment leading the program administration. The Office of, yeah. Workforce, Office of Economic and Workforce, Workforce Development will assist with uh, developing the workforce required to uh, mitigate these lead hazards. Next slide. So it's important to note that the Department of the Environment's role here is informed by nearly two decades of, of administering customer-facing energy programs. On this slide, you can see my colleague, Paul Gray, who has been with the department for more than 12 years, uh, starting uh, with the implementation of the San Francisco Energy Watch rebate program. Prior to Energy Watch, Paul was a licensed carpentry contractor. His experience as a contractor and, an, and as an energy efficiency specialist brings unique insight into, de into developing the Fixed Lead SF program. Paul's evolution is emblematic of the team's evolution. As the San Francisco Energy Watch door closes, the door to harm reduction opens. Next slide. The Department of Public Health leads on the technical side as they are experts in the public health impacts of lead and the pathways for which lead enters children. They have experience in contributing to earlier lead abatement efforts in the city, uh, a program that was run by the mayor of office, uh, the mayor's office of housing and community development uh, earlier in the, earlier this in 20, around 2010, 2015 timeframe. Next slide. The city has a degree of discretion on how to use the settlement money. The Fixed Lead SF team has decided to prioritize funds towards abating lead hazards in homes with children and expectant mothers. In order to target these homes with a, light, with a higher likelihood of lead paint, the project will focus on homes built before 1950. Next slide. So the program design has been informed by the following. Prior lead abatement efforts from the city in the program I mentioned earlier under the Mayor's Office of Housing Community Development which was funded by a housing and urban development grant. It was also informed by existing Department of Public Health lead poisoning cases. And lastly, uh, the program conducted outreach to tenants, property owners, and lead professionals. 
these aspects help shape the program priorities, implementation, and participant targeting. Next slide. The program has identified priority zip codes, as you can see on this map here, that take into account population of children, low-income families, and incidences of lead poisoning. These zip codes include 94110, which is Mission and Bernal Heights, 94112, which is the Outer Mission, and then 94124, which is Bayview Hunter Point. Bayview Hunter Point. Next slide. Program will start with a pilot phase to test out the program processes and procedures on a smaller scale and to iron out any wrinkles uh, before we roll out the core phase of the program. Participants in the pilot phase will, com will come from existing DPH lead poisoning cases. Next slide. The program will emphasize mitigation measures as part of reducing lead risk to children. These measures will focus on friction surfaces that generate lead dust that present an, an ingestion hazard. These mitigation measures include, or these friction surfaces include windows, double hung, made of wood, built-in furniture and built-in cabinets, and wooden doors. The program will also inspect outdoor areas that may contain lead contaminated soil. Next slide. To guide an efficient implementation, the FixLED SF team has developed the following program structure. The overall program lead is the city and county of San Francisco with DPH, Department of Public Health, and uh, Department of the Environment uh, co-leading the program. We will be assisted by a third-party administrator whose primary role will be handling administrative functions, including contracting and payment to the lead service providers and relocation service providers that are shown on the diagram in red. These, entity, these entities will be completing the inspections and the lead remediation work, as well as relocating the occupants of the units being remediated. The lead professionals and relocation providers will contract directly with the property owners to complete the services. The property owner then has completes a participation agreement with the city that agree, agreeing of terms and conditions of enrollment. The, the structure with a third party administrator is designed to facilitate disbursement of the settlement funds, provide additional value added services, as well as shield the city from unnecessary risk. Next slide. FixLED SF speaks to the heart of the department's mission statement, which is to provide solutions that advance climate protection and enhance quality of life for all San Franciscans. To enhance the quality of life, we need homes that are not only healthy and safe, but also comfortable and efficient. As Debbie mentioned earlier, windows are a, a major component of our program. Modern high-performance windows do not contain lead. These window systems use a combination of insulating frames and other features to reduce heat loss that lower heating bills. The additional insulation also reduces noise and air, air infiltration, providing a more comfortable living environment. During the course of the project workflow, Department of Environment staff will identify additional opportunities for interventions, primarily energy related, but also potentially uh, related to other areas such as indoor air quality, integrated pest management, and zero waste efforts. While we have an engaged audience for addressing lead hazards, we plan to leverage this opportunity to serve the participants with additional department services. Next slide. So 
From the inception, the energy team has been a product of opportunity and has evolved with the times. So this evolution of the energy team is similar to that of the common light bulb. Like the incandescent light bulb with a single filament, the energy team began as a single program, the San Francisco Energy Watch. Next, the bulb became a more sophisticated product, the compact fluorescent bulb. Similarly, the energy team expanded to include Bayren. Now the fluorescent bulb has given way to the LED bulb. So much technology packed in a small form factor. Like the LED, the energy team is also packing a lot of programming and whole house retrofit experience to improve the fixed LED SF program, making the program more efficient, effective, and enhancing the quality of all San Franciscans. Next slide. In closing, I'd like to acknowledge our partnership with the Department of Public Health and the Office of Economic and Workforce Development. Uh, my colleagues over at PPH, Karen Yu and Cynthia Malgoza have been key partners in the development of this program. It's been a pleasure working with them and the program design has benefited greatly from their experience and knowledge. Also, Ken Nim from the Office of Economic and Workforce Development has been instrumental in working, in forming our collaboration. He's provided excellent feedback, and support when needed, and will be a valuable resource as we develop the skilled workforce necessary to address lead hazards. Finally, we believe this program can deliver numerous benefits to the residents of San Francisco. The reality is that we have far more deserving applicants than we have budget to serve. Locating additional funding to carry the program beyond the existing budget would allow us to reach more residents, particularly children, and improve health outcomes and deliver climate solutions. Thanks, are there any questions related to fixed lead? Switch to um, grid view so I can see from colleagues, anybody with a raised hand perhaps. I, I have a question to start us off. Um, so I know we're prioritizing as, uh, a couple neighborhoods that are close to the Southeast sector, outer mission, um, wondering what are the expansion plans beyond those neighborhoods afterwards? I know it's budget dependent as well, but sure. Yeah. Great, great question, Commissioner Ron. We are planning on rolling out the program to those three priority zip codes. And as we take in participants and enrollees, uh, we will begin to determine uh, whether those areas have sufficient uh, rates of participation and if we're reaching the, the target audience of units with children, units in low income areas. And um, as we progress with, with more enrollees uh, and we see that we aren't seeing the participation, we do plan to expand to other zip codes um, as the program rolls out. But at this stage, we believe that prioritizing these three zip codes will allow us to make the most impact in the early stages of, of the program. Questions or comments? Uh, yes, Commissioner Hunter. Hey, uh, Ryan, this sounds like the kind of work that I love to see the commission uh, doing. I'm just curious, um, I have two questions really. So I understand that the census data is going to be coming out soon and that will hopefully include some counts by age and population size. Do you think that would affect the prioritization areas in any way or their plans to include the new census data to evaluate if 
there's more children in certain parts of the city? Thank you, Commissioner Hunter, for your question. I, I believe we will um, look to that data to uh, potentially kind of reevaluate some of our priority areas that we serve. Um, given that we've had we haven't had access to that, we haven't been able to incorporate it. But I believe we will uh, make efforts to do so if if we do notice a significant shift in any of the demographics and the targeting. Uh, priority criteria that we see. So that's certainly something that uh, we'll, we'll look at with our DPH colleagues and, and um, make make adjustments as necessary. Um, I did want to uh, ask Karen, you, my colleague from the Department of Public Health, if she wanted to add anything uh, additional to what I presented. Um, no, you did a great job. Yes, thank you. Some of the data that we used in prioritizing uh, the zip codes were um, from 2019, wherever possible, we we, we received, uh, we incorporated the data from two, 2019 as well. And yeah, I imagine like demographics in the mission may be changing. So we'll take a look at that. But there's no doubt that we have had a lot of cases from the mission in the last 20 years. So so yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then just a quick follow up um, to that one is for the outreach efforts um, that we're doing with uh, the Department of Public Health. Are we doing any um, outreach to SFUSD or working in any way to go into school so children could just go home to their parents and say, hey, I got this flyer. Uh, I'm not sure if it's relevant to us, but going directly to the source. Um, yeah, actually, school will be a part of uh, our outreach efforts, um, except that by the time they get to school, they're almost past the, the high-risk age. Most kids get lead poison when they're about eight months to about three years. It, because lead poisoning is due to a lot of hand-to-mouth behaviors, which occur during that age. So by the time they go to kindergarten or preschool, they're kind of even beyond that, past that age already. But yes, school will be included. And we have had lead outreach for the, I don't know, less, last 20, 30 years. So we're well connected with schools and other agencies who, who serve children and families. Thank you for all of your hard work, Karen and Ryan. Anyone else? And if not, um, maybe we can move to public comment then. Okay. Great. <clears throat> I will put the instructions for making a public comment up on the screen. Um, and I did just become aware that we might be having a, some technical difficulties. So I'm also going to read the public comment um, number and instructions out loud. Um, so if you would like to call in to comment on this item, which was the presentation on fixed lead SF, please dial 415-655-0001 and then enter access code 146-031-0364. You will then need to press star three in order to be added to the virtual queue. If you do not press star three, then your virtual hand will not be right raised and I will not be able to see you in the queue. And give me one second while I check the queue. And it doesn't look like we currently have any callers in the queue, but we'll uh, give it a brief pause.
pause in case anyone would like to call in to comment on this item. Right, and I'm not seeing any callers in the queue. Thank you, Katie. Um, at this point, uh, next item then. And thanks again, Ryan, and thanks, Karen, for showing up today for this item and presenting. There we go. All right. Okay, moving on to our next item, uh, review and vote on whether to accept the policy committee's recommendation to approve the draft 2020 annual by green report. The sponsor is Eddie Ahn, Commissioner, and the speaker is Jesse and Choi, City Toxics Reduction Analyst. The explanatory document is the draft 2020 annual by green report, and this item is for discussion and possible action. Sounds good. And um, I'll be introducing this item today. This report comes from Chapter 9 of the Environment Code, also known as the Environmentally Preferable Purchasing Ordinance, which requires the commission to adopt the annual by green report each year. So this report establishes approved alternative product lists for certain product categories and requires city departments to adhere to these lists. At the policy committee meeting on June 12th, we got an in-depth look at the draft report as well as project updates from the last year. And the committee voted to recommend that the commission approve this report. So after we hear from Jesse and about the green purchasing programs, accomplishments and activities for 2020, I'm hoping that we'll move this uh, report forward today after voting on it. And with that, I'll turn it over to Jesse and everyone. Um, I know many of you, um, but for those of you who don't know me, I'm Jessie and Choi with our Toxics program. And today I'm going to start with a little context for our BioGreen program. Um, this is a much shorter presentation than we gave to the policy committee. Um, and then I'll describe our most important projects for, from 2020. And then a mini summary of um, the percent the city spent on less toxic green products in 2020. Next slide, please. So as you know, part of buying green is finding products that don't contribute to climate change. And as we know, climate change is already here. And this was what I and many other people saw when we went to and from our COVID disaster service work during wildfires last September. Next slide, please. Another reason to buy green is it's the law. Um, so there's two ordinances that um, govern what cities, city purchases, the Biogreen Ordinance, which is Environment Code Chapter 2, and the Green Building Ordinance Chapter 7. Next slide. But you do not have to read those laws or read the fine print if you just come to sfapproved.org. Um, that website is where we tried, tried to make it a one-stop shop for anyone, especially city staff, to see compliant product names and vendor contact info and discounted prices on city contracts. Next slide, please. So now I'm gonna talk about some of our most important projects from 2020. Um, when COVID happened, we saw a huge increase in disinfectant use, but most common disinfectants like bleach can cause asthma, which makes COVID more dangerous. So we tried to help by creating a list of less toxic disinfectants that do not have asthma causing ingredients. And it's actually harder than you think, but you can go to our website and just um, see the, the list that took a lot of work to create. Next slide, please. 
And so also in 2020, we passed regulations for three product, three new product categories, which include um, includes interior latex paints and primers. And we also updated regulations for six product categories, but I'll go through the new product categories first. So next slide, please. A new product category includes resilient flooring that does not require toxic cleaners like floor strippers, ceilings or finishes. Next slide, please. Another new category is upholstered seating. Next slide, please. And then we updated a lot of um, other regulations, which include cleaners, because a lot of cleaning products can cause asthma. Next slide, please. We also updated regulations for compostable bags, which need to have this logo on the product. And then next slide, please. We also updated regulations for IT products, which include all these things that look like my desk and maybe yours too. Next slide. And um, we also updated regs for lighting, um, such as Energy Star certified LEDs, not just any LEDs. And next slide, please. And the last updated regulations include a variety of office supplies. Next slide, please. So those were the regulations we worked on in 2020, passed in 2020. And um, we also worked on other projects um, such as refrigerants. This was just a small side project, but as you may already know, refrigerants are in the top 10 list of climate solutions um, listed in Project Drawdown. And um, hydrofluorocarbon refrigerants are greenhouse gases with you know, global warming potentials that can be thousand times higher than carbon dioxide. So we list more climate-friendly um, fridges and AC and other products on our website. Next slide, please. And so also in 2020, since we could not meet city staff in person to provide trainings, um, we created an online training video um, that any, stiff, any city staff can sign up to take. And um, we are going to require certain city staff to take. Um, and so it even has music to keep you awake. So you'll see that soon. Next slide, please. And um, as for other projects, um, we also uh, will be rolling out a new tool for city department directors. It's called the Buy Green Dash, the Directors Buy Green Dashboard, and it'll show how well departments are complying with our requirements. Um, and so city directors can dive into their data um, by year and product category. Next slide, please. So in regards of what the city bought last year, um, we often, each time we do these annual reports, we share trends on just a few product categories. And so this year we have data on office papers and lighting. And so currently the city buys coffee paper from one vendor. And the easiest way to steer staff to buy compliant papers and other office supplies is has been to ask the vendor to not display non-compliant products in their customized online store for the city. And the success of this approach has been inconsistent over the years um, because of changes in products or contracts have sometimes resulted um, in incorrect or incomplete pro product blocking. Um, so because of this, we chose to measure the percentage of compliance for um, coffee paper. And so for we re require recycled content for all coffee paper that we buy, 30% um, for colored copy paper and 100% for white paper. And the good news is that compliance was 92% in 2020 compared to 91% in 2017 
and 87% in 2013. And so COVID made these numbers a lot more interesting because there was a, quite a drop in sales volume, um, as we might expect, because most of us were working from home. Uh, next slide, please. The other product category we analyzed was lighting. And this has been a challenging category because it's there's lots of kinds of lighting um, and lots of different uses for different lighting in different places. Um, and so since 2015, this the city simplified um, its lighting requirements to be LED only, um, specifically the Energy Star and other energy efficient ones. And so this year we just chose a simpler definition of of green lighting um, that also sets a higher bar. So in these graphs, the LEDs um, are green and everything else is like the orange color is not green. And so overall 68% of lighting um, bought by the city um, was compliant. And this is a huge improvement from previous lighting data, which was from 2015. Next slide, please. So also at the policy committee and with our every time we present um, our annual report, we like to say bravocado. And this year, next slide, please. We gave the Buy Green Team Awards to um, the Office of Contracts Administration, um, which were represented by um, Selija Carella and Taryn Moayed. And then we also gave um, a Buy Green Team Award to Kevin Bird and Scott Barlow at the Department of Public Works. And they all went above and beyond in more ways than I can explain in the short time we have today. Um, but next slide, please. And so lastly, I just wanna say, you know, we're from the government and we're here to help. And um, if you have any questions, feel free to let me know. And thank you so much. Thank you, Jesse. And any other questions or comments on this? Well, seeing no other questions or comments, can I have a motion then to approve this report? I see uh, Commissioner Wald, with her hand raised. Thank you. I move that we approve this uh, report. Thank you, Justin, for all your, and other members of your team for all your great work on this subject. Um, is there a second to that motion? Uh, Commissioner Bermejo seconded. <laughs> and I would just like to add that you were with the government and you actually do help Jesse and so. um, If now that we have a motion um, in a second, let's open up this public comment. Uh, let's open up public comment right now, Katie. I'll put the instructions up on the screen for anyone who would like to call in to comment on this item, which was the Buy Green Report. And I'll also read out the <clears throat> number and instructions. So if you would like to make a public comment on this item, please dial the phone number 415-655-0001. You will then need to enter access code 146-031-0382. Then you'll need to press star three in order to be added to the virtual queue. If you do not press star three, then I will not see your virtual hand raise and I will not be able to call on you. And we do currently have one caller in the queue. 
And so let me pull up my timer and you will have three minutes to make your comment and your time starts now. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, uh, it's David Pilpel. Again, we still don't have the functionality on WebEx, so I'm juggling multiple screens and devices. Very frustrating. Um, of course, I support the efforts of Chris, Jesse, and Jenny, and the other staff to reduce city toxics use. Are there other examples of doing better, worse, or about the same with purchasing during the pandemic? I know the city um, purchased lots of masks and lots of supplies and all kinds of things, and I suspect that um, a lot of that bypassed um, some of the review that might have uh, occurred. So are there either pandemic-related um, supplies that um, we want to call out or things to be aware of in terms of medical or other types of um, materials in the future? I bet a bunch of stuff was laminated, for example, that can't be easily um, recycled or reused. Um, it's important to be both fun and draconian. That's for Jessian, but I do think that we miss the big picture sometimes. MTA, for example, that I follow very closely, purchased new ticket vending machines in the subway stations a few years ago and is replacing uh, parking meter pay stations. Both um, efforts uh, can generate lots of metal and electronic waste or um, those supplies or materials can be reused or recycled. In some cases, uh, MTA and other city departments generate paper receipts that may have BPA on, in the paper or the ink, and I don't know if that gets checked. Bottom line is I think um, the Department of the Environment should be involved in all city department purchasing efforts and construction contracts. It should be that you're in until you decide that they're doing the right thing and you opt out rather than you get consulted when you get consulted or you're dealing with um, you know, these more routine things as opposed to some of the bigger uh, procurement things that they, some of these other departments aren't thinking um, environment as a concern. I hope that's clear. Thanks very much. Did you want me to respond? Um, that's at your election, Jessian. Yeah, as you want. I'll allow it. Um, in terms of like construction progress, projects and the big purchases that the city makes often in construction projects. Um, we have the carpet regulation, which you all might already know about, which is just still newish, but a few years old. Um, and that one is pretty helpful because, um, because it, uh, when people buy carpet, sometimes the competing manufacturers find out about it, however they do. And so they're able to kind of help everyone be in compliance. Um, so that covers a big product category that, you know, big volumes of um, carpet. Um, we wish we could cover many, you know, purchases and every single purchase in real time, um, but that's a technical issue that I don't know that anyone, any organization has been able to solve. Thank you, Jessine. Um, and just to confirm, no other public comment, right, Katie? No, right. there's no additional callers. So in that case, let's do the roll call vote at this point. Um, all right, President Stevenson is excused. Vice President on. Aye. 
Commissioner Bermejo? Aye. Commissioner Hunter? Aye. Commissioner Sullivan is excused. Commissioner Wald? Aye. And Commissioner Wan? Aye. All right. Thanks again, Chris and Jen and Jessian. Good seeing you as always. Okay. Well, next item then. All right, moving on to the next item, department budget update. The sponsor is Deborah Raffel, director, and the speakers are Joseph Salem, program manager, finance and administration, and Charles Sheehan, chief policy and public affairs officer. And this item is for discussion. Thank you. Hopefully good news, director Raphael. <laughs> yes, oh my goodness. So this has absolutely been a team effort. There, this is my seventh budget that I've participated in. And it is a budget process like no other, as you know. Um, it was, it, this is a budget that's been before you multiple times. We brought it before, we made even a special commission meeting in March uh, to talk about the challenges we were having, to engage with you about opportunities to um, make the point that uh, funding is inadequate and we need help, uh, to make the point that the general fund it, potentially uh, it should not be a bright line for our department and we came back to you again in the second time in March and in May and so now I'm really pleased to give you the good news I don't think it will be a surprise to you at this point that it was a very successful budget season for us not only were we made whole which is really important because we didn't lay off staff we were able to preserve the level of service but we also got some interesting addbacks from the general fund. And so what I'm going to ask tonight is that Joe Salem will give you a presentation on the budget part, and then Charles Sheehan will talk about those addbacks. And I just wanna end with expressing my deep gratitude for the way you had my back personally, the way you had the back of the department, uh, you had the intention um, and you carried the importance of the environment with you. Uh, in all the letters that were written and in your phone calls. And I also wanna extend deep gratitude for the members of the community um, who very much made their voices heard and showed up at budget hearings and showed up in supervisors' offices to make the point. This never would have happened without such a team approach. So I'm, I'm truly grateful and motivated to work even harder because of this, um, this uh, not seal of approval and the word is going away, but the, the indication of support that the Board of Supervisors and the Mayor's Office has given uh, through this budget. So with that, uh, Joe, you're up. Okay. Um, ah, there we are. Um, good evening, Commissioners. My name is Joe Salem. I'm the Finance and Administration Manager for the Department of the Environment. I'm here tonight to give a very brief presentation on the final Board of Supervisors approved annual appropriation ordinance or AAO budget for the Department of the Environment. The budget I'm presenting tonight reflects only the department's request for new funding for fiscal 2022. And as such, it does not include funds that were either approved mid-year outside of the AAO process or multi-year funding that has already been appropriated. That budget, which we refer to as our operating budget, is what is discussed in the operations committee and the pre-budget submission commission meetings. Next slide. 
So I want to start with an update on the IDS work order concerns that were brought to the, the previous operations committee meeting. Uh, at that meeting, we discussed a critical funding gap with two city work orders uh, totaling $346,000. Uh, as Director Raffel mentioned, we're, we're pleased to say that with the help of Sally Maul and others at the mayor's budget office, as well as members of this commission and department staff, those essential funds were restored to the department's budget request in the mayor's phase of the budget process, leaving them fully intact at the final board phase. Next slide. So as we see here, the AAO budget only varied by 0.38%, which is a very manageable reduction. Our submitted budget was $21,625,762 and our approved budget $21,543,037, which equates to a reduction of $82,725. Uh, by comparison, uh, our board recommended cuts for the current fiscal year were over $180,000. Next slide. So of these cuts, the majority are 52,725 came from an increase in attrition which represents a reduction of less than one half of 1% of the departmental personnel budget, which is very manageable. Uh, other than attrition, there was a $10,000 reduction in data processing supplies, a $10,000 reduction in copy machine leases, and a $10,000 reduction in overall training. Um, all the cuts you see here, while not insignificant, are manageable and we don't expect them to impact the department's ability to provide services or achieve departmental goals. Uh, I would also like to note that of the $82,750 that was uh, in the reduction, all but 5,000 was solid waste impound funding. And as such, it will be placed into a reserve which is accessible to the department in future fiscal years. Next slide, please. Um, lastly, as Director Raffel also mentioned, uh, and what I think is a very exciting development, uh, the Board of Supervisors awarded the department three general fund appropriated addbacks totaling $1,099,000 over the next two fiscal years. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to uh, Charles Sheehan now to discuss these three projects. Thank you, Joe. Uh, hello, Commissioners. Charles Sheehan, Policy and Public Affairs for the department. Um, I'm going to start with the addbacks on the um, at the very bottom, um, there, the add back total was 100,000, um, 50,000 for uh, this fiscal year and 50,000 for the next fiscal year. Um, the description um, has it correct. It's for a composting programs uh, in district five, um, potentially around some of their gardening initiatives, initiatives in various uh, neighborhoods. Um, we've received similar add backs, some um, focusing on other districts in the past and um, we expect to be working with the District 5 office on implementation um, throughout the year. Um, the addbacks above that refer to um, the proposals for um, a climate um, uh, action funding study for long-term funding solutions for climate action, as well as kind of seed funding for a climate equity hub. Um, these arose out of proposals that um, uh, were brought forward by Supervisor Mandelman, Supervisor Marr. Um, many of the uh, early initial ideas were discussed at the commission, and um, the origin for these ideas uh, can be traced back um, to the Climate Emergency Advocates 
and even the Energy Efficiency Coordinating Committee of 2017. So there's been a long history on, um, on, on this topic. And what you see before you is kind of two funding streams, one to fund a climate action funding study that will help us assess, you know, what we need to help San Francisco transform our buildings into zero emission buildings. It's gonna take millions, maybe even billions of dollars and how much funding we need, where it's going to come from is unknown at this point. And so we're gonna take a look at that by looking um, and working with fellow universities, think tanks, uh, labor organizations, and we'll try and understand the real cost of climate action, maybe do some polling um, for San Francisco to see um, what message and what a pathway might work best, and it could culminate in a ballot measure. And so that's the climate action funding study, and it's only funding for one year. Uh, and then above that, we have some ad back funding to kind of see, begin the outlines of that climate equity hub that we've been talking about um, for a couple of months. And um, the funding will go for some consulting dollars so we can really help study and bring in the community. Like, what does this look like? You know, are there models elsewhere like the Washington DC model that will work here? And there's also some funding for um, uh, some staff uh, participation in that process as well. And that funding is split over two years. Um, that's it for the ad backs. I don't know if Joe, there's another slide, but um, if, if, is there another slide, Joe? Or, or Katie? Questions, okay. So we're at the questions. Um, and so Joe and I can um, both take questions if now is the appropriate time. Correct, yes, I'm sorry. It's, it's, I was just going to, to conclude with the fact that acknowledging uh, Director Fell's um, uh, statement about the fact that it, it was a challenging year um in, in terms of the budget process but uh, i'm very very pleased with the outcome of of this budget uh that was approved and uh with that we i'm happy to take any questions that you have questions comments from colleagues yes commissioner wall Thank you. This is, of course, a really great uh, outcome, and I think probably that there were moments when every single one of us thought that it could not possibly end. The saga of the budget could not possibly end uh, well. So, I mean, it's really a fabulous, fabulous uh, outcome. My uh, question is about, you know, what if any plans, I know it's very, very early, uh, you have to run some of that, your action plans for using uh, these uh, new funds past the commission or maybe the one of one of the committees uh, so that, you know, we can we can have a sense of what it, all it is you are planning to do and we can maybe figure out whether there are activities that we can engage in either as an official commission or or subcommittee uh, or as individuals that will help produce the kind of result at the end of year one and for one of them and the end of year two for the other that we're all hoping to see. Um. Thank you, Commissioner. I, I can take this one. So um, I think the answer is yes. We do plan to bring this either to committee or the full commission, probably both um, with the draft outline for what the climate action funding study would look like. 
and um, and the setting setting up the climate equity hub will be a very kind of community collaborative process. And so there might be multiple times we bring that to the commission or at least involve commissioners in setting that up um, informally because we know we're going to invite the community members in that helped us, you know, that helped generate the idea and help us get some of that funding. So I do think you will be seeing this topic again, probably more than once. And if I could chime in on that too, yeah, Charles is absolutely right. And in terms of the funding, you know, the funding um, study, the it'll be really interesting for us to think about what role the commission wants to play in that uh, endeavor. There will be a convening, uh, probably, I'm not sure exactly who is going to coordinate it yet. Uh, as you say, Commissioner Wald, it's a bit earlier, early days in, in structuring it. Um, and I think it would be a very exciting, actually, project for the commission to engage in in a deep way. So as we, as I personally start to put my thinking together, I would love to have the policy committee's brain on this collective brain to think about how we um, use the talents of all of the commission members on this. It's, it's going to be very interesting and exciting, and I know a lot of eyes are going to be on the end product. Any other comments or questions from other commissioners? So seeing none, maybe we should open it up to public comment now, Katie. All right. Oops, let me open that up. There we go. All right, so I've just um, shared the instructions for making a public comment up on the screen. Um, and I will also read the um, information out for anyone who would like to call in to comment um, on this agenda item, which was the budget update. Please dial phone number 415-655-0001. Enter access code 146-031-0364. You will then need to press star three in order to be added to the virtual queue. And if you do not press star three, I will not be able to see your virtual hand be raised. And you will also have three minutes to make your comment. And I do see we have a caller in the queue. And so I will pull up our timer and your time will start now. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, it's David Topel again. This is on item nine, the budget update. So where is the presentation? I don't see it posted on the meeting website and I can't comment without it because I can't scroll back on uh, uh, WebEx. This is incredibly frustrating and I'm, I'm really getting annoyed. The barriers to public participation that seem to exist here tonight are significant and shame on this process. I'm very tempted to file a sunshine complaint about this meeting and you should convince me why I shouldn't do that. You know, I am really, really unhappy and I've been unhappy before at commission meetings for uh, failure to get it right. But this is just, you know, over the top. And, you know, I, I need to see the presentation. It's not posted can't take public comment on a thing with a presentation where the public doesn't have access to the presentation. This is 
ridiculous. I'm done on this item. Thanks. All right. Uh, any other public comment on this item, Katie? I'm seeing no additional callers in the queue. And um, just, you know, typically the commission's policy is not to respond directly to public comment, but I'm sure we can figure out a way to get those materials posted online. Um, so seeing no other comments from other commissioners. Okay, well, next item then, Katie. All right, moving on to our next item, director's report. The speaker is Deborah Feld, director, and the explanatory document is the director's report, and this item is for discussion. Thank you, and this will be quick. Um, couple huge milestones. It feels like there's been a lot of milestones that um, we've been sharing with you all um, tonight. Uh, this next two are on legislation that has been uh, moved through the process. The first is the construction and demolition ordinance, which we have been working on for two years with Supervisor Safai. It will uh, give the department significant new um, authority in terms of regulating the transportation um, of construction and demolition debris. It's very, very significant. It's very wonky. And yet what's beautiful about it is it's a it codifies a partnership between public works, public health, the sheriff, and the Department of Environment. It gets us all working together in a very consolidated and coordinated fashion to deal with illegal dumping as well as the proper disposal or disposition really of construction and demolition waste. So it's a huge percent of what goes to landfill right now. So we need to deal with it because this material should not be going to landfill. And this is gonna give us some real tools in order to deal with people who aren't doing the right thing. So that got uh, moved out of committee of the land use committee unanimously, and it will go before the full board um, when they come back from recess in September. The second initiative, the second piece of legislation that is moved out of land use and actually moved through the full board uh, very quickly was chapter nine of the environment code, which is the city's goals for climate um, and as well as uh, roles and responsibilities for city departments. Uh, both of those pieces of legislation you heard about at the commission, both of them had uh, resolutions and support so the commission very much weighed in and you shaped both of them uh, significantly. So I really appreciate all the partnership and, um, and support of the commission. The chapter nine of the environment code uh, got out of land use committee as a committee report, which means it went directly from Monday's committee meeting to the full board the next day. It got voted on a second time today. So hours earlier, it was approved by the full board unanimously and will go to the mayor's office uh, for her approval. Very, very exciting. The mayor did a wonderful press release about chapter nine of the environment code. She's personally excited about it. It really speaks to her ambition and to the importance of looking at housing as a climate action strategy. So very, very exciting news on both of those fronts. Uh, 
just to give you a heads up, coming up is going, it's that time of year where we will be looking at the reduced risk pesticide list. Uh, so that will be coming before you, but before it comes to the policy committee and then the full commission, we have a public hearing. Uh, that public hearing will be actually tomorrow night at five. So, or tomorrow afternoon at five, once we understand what the, if there are any concerns of the public and what comments people have, uh, we will then agendize this at a policy committee meeting where there will be a, a recommendation. And once there is, then it'll go before the full commission. So just know that that's probably coming your way in September. In terms of coming back to the office, this feels like such a moving target to me personally um, with the Delta variant. I just, oh my goodness. So in terms of commission meetings, we're not, I don't know when we're going to be in person, certainly not um, in our next September commission meeting. We will not be in person. Uh, we are supposed to come back to the office September 13th in a sort of hybrid fashion of some days in the office, some days telecommuting. We're still getting instruction about mask requirements. Uh, it's, as you all know, I mean, this is uh, a time of breakthrough positives and people are concerned. I, as director, I am trying to be very cognizant of the staff concern and of the health of wellness of my staff and the people that they go home to at night. So this is this is a journey and we are working very closely with staff to make sure that people's needs are addressed. And at the end of the day, the mayor does want us back in the office in September, and that's what we're shooting for. And we will only do that if it's safe. So the one thing that uh, the city does need from everyone right now is a declaration of your vaccination status. That applies to staff as well as to commissioners. Uh, we have 100% of our staff have declared we don't have 100% yet of commissioners. So we need uh, you, commissioners, Katie has been reaching out to you. She will continue to do that to get everybody to go online. And if you're having problems going online, talk to Katie, she can walk you through it. So it hopefully, um, sometimes it crashes, sometimes it doesn't. It's one of those wonderful technology things, but we all do need to do that. The city wants to know your status, not it's not required that people be vaccinated. It's just required that we let the city know. So with that, that's the end of my director's report. I, you know, honestly, I'm really proud of what has happened the last three months in the department. I think that it's a sign of maturity of the department. It's a sign of the coalitions that have been built and the fact that people are leaning in together on this really important issue. So I, I feel really, heartened and also feel a little overwhelmed because there's a lot of work that we need to get done in the next year. And you'll be there with me, I know. And thank you for your leadership, Director Raphael. I think that goes without saying it sometimes, but it's good to say it explicitly. Mm -hmm. Any questions or comments from other uh, commissioners? Seeing none, let's take public comment, Katie. All right, I'll put the instructions for making a public comment up on the screen um, for anyone who would like to call in to comment on this item, which is the director's report. And I will also read out the instructions. 
So if you'd like to comment, please dial 415-655-0001 and enter access code 146-031-0364. You will then need to press star three in order to be added to the queue. And if you do not press star three, then I will not see your virtual hand raised in the queue. And you will have three minutes to make your comment. And I do see that we have a caller in the queue. And so I will pull up our timer and your time will start now. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. David Pilpel again. Once again, the director's report that's posted on the web has eight pages of the report and 15 pages of other extraneous meeting packet material. So however that was put together and scanned and posted, it is not correct. Can you please repost it correctly? It is important for the public to get the meeting details correct, the posted materials and the WebEx setup. I am not upset with the commission, but I'm very upset with the staff. Charles and Katie get paid a lot of money to get this right, and I don't feel like they got it right. And if I'm not happy, and I'm a big participant here, I can only imagine what someone else who's not as engaged uh, is finding. That's probably why you don't get as much participation in these meetings as you could. I hope I'm being heard on this point. My unhappiness about public access does not include the department and staff's environmental efforts, which continue to be significant and in some cases remarkable. There was an item at the Public Utilities Commission today about a Clean Power SF Community Food Service Energy Efficiency Program that may include staff and uh, outreach from the Department of the Environment. Perhaps that can be discussed at a future meeting. That would be nice to uh, hear about. That sounds very uh, interesting and um, useful. The controller's office has set up a refuse working group to review the issue of how we regulate refuse collection and disposal and the 1932 ordinance and related matters. The department is included in that. And I did not see uh, reference to that in uh, the director's report this time or at the previous meeting, nor did I hear anything uh, about that at the commission level. I think it would be worth uh, hearing something um, about that and um, what our intentions are there. Those are my comments for tonight. I'm sorry that I'm not happy and hopefully somebody will do something about it. Thanks. Anyone else in the queue, Katie? I'm not seeing any additional callers in the queue. Okay, seeing none then, uh, next item please. All right, moving on to our next item, uh, committee reports, and this item is for discussion. And I believe I'm first up on deck with um, policy committee report. I know it seems like I've been speaking a lot tonight, pulling off double duty, triple duty perhaps, but um, I'll be brief since the last full commission meeting, the policy committee uh, met both on June 14th and July 12th. Uh, on June 14th, uh, we already heard about the Green Buy Report uh, today, and then we also heard about the department's building material reuse initiatives. And then on July 12th, we heard about updated recommendations from SFCTA's Congestion Management Initiative, as well as Bayren, the Bay Area Regional Energy Network's progress to date. 
And with that, I conclude my report and maybe I'll pass it on to Commissioner Juan to give us a report on operations. Thank you. Um, the operations committee we met last week on July 21st. First, we had a presentation from Polly Oja on the department's healthy homes, healthy kids, uh, healthy child cares project, uh, which included net net swap outs and educational outreach. Um, and then we heard also from Jennifer Zhang on the lessons learned from the department's brand audit um, that we very look forward to looking at the new brand in the new future. Um, and then our next operations committee meeting will be on Wednesday, October 20th. Thank you, Commissioner Wong. Um, any other comments or questions from other commissioners? Seeing none, let's go on to public comment then, Katie. All right, I will share the instructions for making a public comment up on the screen. Um, for anyone who would like to call in to comment on the committee reports. And I'll also read out the instructions. So please dial 415-655-0001 and enter access code 146-031-0364. And you will then need to press star three in order to be added to the queue. And you will have three minutes to make your comment. And I'm not currently seeing any callers in the queue, but we'll take a brief pause. I'm not seeing any callers in the queue. Okay, so next item then. All right, moving on to our next item announcements and this item is for discussion. Any announcements? Okay, seeing none then Let's open it up for public comment too. All right, I will put the instructions for making a public comment back up on the screen. And I will also read them out loud in case um, they are not appearing on the screen for anyone. So please dial 415-655-0001 and enter access code 146-031-0364. And you will then need to press star three in order to be added to the queue. And give me one second while I check our queue. And I'm not currently seeing any callers, but we will take another brief pause in case anyone would like to call in. All right, and I'm not seeing any callers in the queue. Okay, then we'll move on to the next item, which I believe is Charles. All right, moving on to new business and future agenda items. The speaker is Charles Sheehan, Chief Policy and Public Affairs Officer, and this item is for discussion. Thank you, Katie. Um, the next policy meeting is August 9. Uh, the next commission meeting is um, September 28. And the next operations meeting is October 20th. Um, coming up for the next commission meeting, we will most likely have approval of the reduced risk pesticide list before you. 
Um, we also may have uh, a presentation on Energy Access, Energy Access SF, which is a um, partnership between uh, local government and PG&E. And maybe for this meeting coming up or future meetings, um, a look at the department's record retention policies. Uh, that's it for new business. Happy to take any questions. I'd like to just um, add that um, what on the public comment, the the two items that were mentioned are actually really good ideas for future agenda items too. And so one of those is the ruling that the San Francisco PUC just did today mm -hmm. to send a recommendation to the San Francisco PUC. So when we talk about energy access, San Francisco, we probably will also cover that there. And then the other with the refuse working group, um, we have to figure out how best to cover that because it's, it's at very nascent stage and I'm not sure, but I do think that this commission would be very interested and maybe we invite the controller's office to do a presentation on what they're, what they're, how they're approaching it. We're a participant in a, in a much larger process. So those are things that I think also and could be future agenda items. Mm -hmm. Any other additions from other commissioners? Uh, maybe we should move on to public comment then. All right, I'll put the instructions for making public comment back up on the screen. And I will also read the instructions for anyone who would like to call in. Please dial 415-655-0001 and enter access code 146-031-0364. And you will then need to press star three in order to be added to the queue. And you will have three minutes to make your comment. And give me one second. And I do see that we have a caller in the queue. And so I will pull up the timer and your time will start now. David Pilpel again, I'm tired of, I'm just tired. If you're gonna discuss the department's record retention uh, policy and schedule, I recommend that you send that to the operations committee first before it gets to the full commission. I of course will want to review that in detail and may have uh, comments. That's exactly the kind of thing that should go to the operations committee before the full commission. Thanks very much. Anyone else, Katie? I'm not seeing any additional callers in the queue. Okay, so seeing none, uh, next item then. All right, moving on to our next item, which is adjournment. And with that, the time is 7.11 p.m. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for your work. Thank you.